cheese friends. Are you heading through Philadelphia anytime soon? Well, if you are, we need to talk. As you may have noticed, we conduct our interviews in person because we feel that it's the best way to get a good, honest conversation. We want to size you up over a wedge of cheese and a nice glass of beer. And so meeting in person is the best way to do that. And if you are passing through and can make a detour to Valley Milk House or Bertrand Hills Farm, or maybe a nice bar in Philly, or even the Wawa parking lot, we would love to meet you. You can send us an email at cheese at collectivecreamery.com and we can make arrangements. Right. So if you're heading east or west on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, we are right off of one of those exits. It couldn't be any easier. And come to think of it, if you're heading north and south on the 95 corridor, it is so easy to get to our place. So while you're conducting your cheese business, traveling around this area, we'd love for you to stop in. Let's have a chat. everyone. I'm Steph Angstadt. And I'm Sue Miller. And in this episode of Collective Creamery, we're bringing you an interview with Pete Demsher of Shellbark Hollow Farm. Stephanie, I just stopped out to see Pete last week to pick up some cheese for a tasting I was doing. And when I pulled in the driveway, I stopped the car and I heard a tractor running. And I thought, this is what I love about Pete Demsher. And we're talking about this in the interview is that he's really kind of... Um, embracing his time on the farm. He's not pushing himself the way he did in the past, you know, shipping everywhere, going everywhere. He's just thinking, what is it that really makes him happy? And how can he model his business around a better lifestyle? Because we all know it's really hard to farm and make cheese and market cheese and age it and ship it and do everything. And I think this interview is really refreshing. I think so too. And I think it's a it's a great story of somebody who started as a hobby goat farmer, transitioned to being a commercial producer, and now is pumping the brakes a little bit and taking a look around and prioritizing being on the farm and prioritizing getting to know every customer by name, which is one of his goals. So it's um it's also kind of a, a humbling and, and reflective interview too in that sense. And uh, we do hope you all enjoy one it. One more thing, friends. Please fill out our survey so that, you know, we can uh, adapt maybe our interviews to suit your needs a little bit more. You can find it in the show notes. We are super excited tonight because we are sitting here with my really good friend, Pete Demsher, and his lovely wife, Jean. Pete, I think I was just thinking, I guess we've known each other for 12 years. And Pete Demsher from Shellbark Hollow Farm, he's the maker of these beautiful goat cheeses here in Chester County. He's kind of... I would call you our renegade cheesemaker of the region. <laughs> I love that you're kind of always like throwing a little bit of caution to the wind, you know, 
doing your own thing, marching to your own beat. And it really sets a beautiful stage for all of us in the region. Pete and I do a lot of farmers markets together. And we decided early on that it would be really great if we work together rather than work against each other. And I think that has set this really great tone for all of us in Chester County. So welcome, you guys. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, it has been fun. We, we <coughs> do like making cheese and we like having fun while we do it. Our philosophy has changed over the years. You know, it started as a business, but now it's more as a retirement business to me. And if I don't have fun, I don't do it. <laughs> yeah, you have to understand that for many, many years, Pete worked a very demanding job. He got up early in the morning, got in his truck. He drove long distances, worked on equipment. And then he came home and he milked his goats and he made cheese and he showed up at the markets with those beautiful cheeses. So he had a full-time job. He's the ultimate bootstrapper, I would say, <laughs> of how to make wonky things work really well in a cheese situation. So can you just give us a little bit of a snapshot of Shellbark Hollow? And I want you to start with the goats, how that all happened. Well, <clears throat> years ago, I started, my sister had, had a herd of goats and actually, I actually just dealt with the bucks. I didn't deal with any of the milkers. I had a show to bucks at shows and stuff. And I fell in love with the boys, which everybody hates because they stink. <laughs> <laughs> I would walk in a room, everybody would think, what's that smell? <laughs> I got to the point it didn't bother me, but the boys were really cool. That yeah. was our dear Pete Tempshire. <laughs> <laughs> then sev several years later, I was at a horse show and a friend of ours who had purebred Nubian goats was there with me and my ex-wife. And we were talking about my Father's Day present, which my ex-wife had not got me at the time. And my dear friend offered me two baby goats. And that's how this all started. <laughs> and your dear, dear friend was? Rory Wilkins. Yeah. All right. That's really cool. That's how it all started. And actually, sure, goats came from Doug Newbold, who was really the mentor of goat cheeses in this area, the Philadelphia area. She started way back, I'm talking about, making goat cheese in this area. Um, but she really made goat cheese just because she had the goats and she was into genetics and she had the milk to make cheese. Yeah, and she's a pretty amazing woman. I mean, what, her first customer might have been Judy Wicks down at the White Dog. Probably. Kind yeah. of building this yes. local food system yeah. one goat cheese at a time. And actually, I just got her milk bench the other day. <laughs> Did you? Yes. <laughs> I got a phone call from the other day, and somebody was, had her milk bench and was getting rid of it. And called me up, and Doug called me up and said, do you want my milk bench? I really wanted to go to somebody. <laughs> oh, that's really neat. I mean, I, think, I feel like she must have made goat cheese for 15 or 20 years, and she's been pretty much wrapped up making cheese maybe 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's about when she got out of it. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely a pioneer in the Philadelphia area. Any of you from the region who would go into the White Dog, you definitely had her cheese long before there was any local cheese on any menu in the region. And the funniest thing is several years ago, me and Doug were talking, and she said that I was on a downhill slide at his curve, but really it was the uphill slide at his curve as you, you know. <laughs> yeah, we have been on the uphill side, <laughs> yes. haven't we? Yes, it has. You know, she, she actually thought it was going down at that point. It's going up. It's pretty exciting what's going on in the world of cheese right now, isn't it? The mm. diversity, the excitement behind local cheeses. I think our customers are pretty amazing. Yes, they are. 
one thing we were talking about is, is our customers, and our customers really appreciate what we do for them. So many are, are just so happy to know what we do for them, and they enjoy knowing who we are, where their food is coming from, and how we're making it for them. It's really true. I think it's it's really great. Well, I mean, like I said, Pete and I do a lot of markets together, and a lot of times people stop at me, and they're like, do you have goat cheese? I'm like, no, right down there, go to Shell Bark Hollow. Or is there goat's milk? And they head down, and it works out really well. I like to drive, you know, steer them in a certain direction when they get to your table. I kind of like to guide them through your cheeses before they even walk up. And you know which cheese I'm going to try to get them to buy, my very favorite. <laughs> it is a hot seller. <laughs> so take us back to a Father's Day gift of two goats and how your uh, uh, that started into the farm where you are today. Well... We started with the two goats, and actually the first thing I ever made was ricotta cheese. And me and a friend of mine up the street, we gardened together a lot. And when we had our gardens going, I started making ricotta cheese, and me and him got together, and we made crepes, which we turned into manicotti. manicottis. Um, blank there. <laughs> um, and froze them up and... Main meals lasted just a whole winter long, or, you know, whole winter long um, is what we did at first. And then I started playing making goat cheese. And actually, I experimented making goat cheese for about five years before I actually got licensed. I was a bootlegger. What I would do is I'd make cheese and I'd give it out to people. And the only thing they had to do was fill out a questionnaire <laughs> if they wanted more cheese. And that's how I developed a lot of my recipes by my taste and other people's tastes and developed my Sharp 2, which is very famous. That's the one I was referring to. <laughs> I love the cheese. It's, it's very different for goat cheese. I started making goat cheese and actually thought it was very boring. It was very plain. And I, I'm a type, I was raised in an Italian family, and if the cheese made the top of my mouth itch, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be acidic. <laughs> and that's what I developed in my Sharp too, is a more acidic goat cheese, which people weren't really used to. And that's why people like it, because it's different than most goat cheeses. That yeah, find. and it's a fresh cheese, but it is like so full of personality, <laughs> especially in the morning on toast. <laughs> I always say it's not unusual um, to come down to the kitchen in the morning, and my son will be there eating Pete's shell bark sharp two for breakfast. <laughs> for breakfast, it's a great way to start the day. <laughs> how do you how do you make sharp two? Because you age it, right? No, oh, you everybody don't. wants to know that. It's a oh, secret. okay. <laughs> yeah, and actually, Aunt Carlton's asked me thinks I press it. I don't press it because my cheese is a lot drier than most goat cheeses. Mm -hmm. But I don't press it. It's it's, it's the way I make it. So, you know, it's, it's, off, it's, it's off the grid, per se. It's, it's the hand of the cheesemaker that defines this quality cheese. I've had, I've had other cheesemakers tell me I can't make cheese the way I make it. <laughs> what, do, what do they know? Fleur Walters told me that. 
Isn't it interesting when people tell you what you can and can't do? And that's how we become renegades, isn't it? When yes. people say, you can't do that. When I first started making cheese, I went to the PASA conference and it was our first year making cheese. And somebody said to me, oh, what type of cheese is I said, I'm making it Alpine style. And they said, do you milk brown Swiss cows? And I said, I don't. I milk Holsteins. And they said, you can't do that. And I thought, kiss my ass. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you get your backyard goats. Well, I got my backyard goats. And as, as usual, we started breeding them. And, you know, two goats become 10 goats. And actually, at one point, I was up to 125 in a small neighborhood. I only had 3.5 acres. Wow. Plus, I had properties my neighbors that I turned into pastures all behind my neighbors' houses. That's a lot of manicotti. <laughs> no, we were making cheese by then. Yeah. <laughs> Real cheese. <laughs> where, where Pete's original farm, Shellbark, was, I mean, he says in the neighborhood, it was like a development yeah. in Westchester. Like They had McMansions right, all around right. the Right, and I think your neighbors must have adored you and those goats. You gave a lot of personality <laughs> to the neighborhood, Pete. Yeah, <laughs> yes, until, until, until the city people started moving in. Yeah. <laughs> and they one of street lights and everything else. <laughs> and their barbecues were flies and yeah. mucking and what what was it about goats that drew you in? I guess it's because I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> He's an old oh, here's the side of Pete Dempsher I didn't really have insight to. I like that. <laughs> yes. I guess that does make sense, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Brilliant. No. You're fiercely independent. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. no, Got that it, wild know, spirit. Yeah, you know, it, it was funny because most people, like I said, don't like don't like the boys, and you know, and the boys are the best. They really are. During breeding scenes, you get a little ornery, but man, they the guys are great. The girls, yeah, they can be moody. <laughs> there you go. What are your What are your favorite elements of having a goat dairy? I mean, you like hanging around the boys, so does that mean you like breeding season? No, no, actually, I don't know. I love it all, perfectly honest with you. You know, I'd rather be down my barn working than doing anything. Perfect. <laughs> I can assist. <laughs> doing anything else. Um, you know, when I get to spend time at the barn, I love it. You know, there's, you know, as being a business owner, there's a lot of things I have to do that I'd rather not be doing. Uh, I'd rather be down my barn hanging out with my animals. You know, the girls, the boys, everything now. You know, we got the pigs going on. We got puppies at the barn. We got chickens. We got ducks. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a whole world, <laughs> per se. Can I talk about something that might be a little bit sensitive how yeah. you came to be full-time making cheese. Yeah, you can. <laughs> All right. So Pete and I, we know each other for 10 years. He's working himself to the bone, you know, working for another company, milking the goats, making the cheese, burning the midnight hour. I don't even know when you sleep, to tell you the truth. Mm, about, four hours, about four hours a night. <laughs> one day he pulls into Head House, and um, I heard a little rumor that your job had ended. You pulled into Head House, and I walked up to you before you even parked your truck, and I was like, Pete Demsher, this is the best thing that ever happened to you. Now you can do what you've been, you've been meant to do your whole life. And I think from that moment, I have never seen you. I 
feel like you just like come into yourself. You're so happy because, you know, you get to be on the farm and now you and Jean have this beautiful little property out in Honeybrook. It's pastoral, beautiful verdant pastures and the goats are there and the cheese making's there. And you've created like a pretty amazing spot. No wonder you don't want to leave the barn. He <laughs> leaves the farm some that time. Well, after you've been on the road for 37 <laughs> years, every day of the week, it's easy to stay on the farm all day. Yeah. It's very easy. It is. And that's a theme that's come up, you know, even before we hit record, we were talking about how, you know, you want to spend more time on the farm and um, live more of the farmer's life. So what are some of the things that you're doing to to get there? You know, what are some of the changes that you're making on the farm that well, anchor you there more? You know, the farm is really new, this farm. You know, we've only been there approximately three years now. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of things I want to do with this farm, you know, and develop it. You know, my last farm I was very comfortable at. I had everything, you know, I was there 20-something years. I had everything where I wanted it. Now this farm, you know, it's new, so I'm trying to make it, you know, I don't know, make it paradise, I should say, <laughs> you know. And, you know, there's always, there's always something to do on a farm, you know. No matter what day of the week it is, there's something to do, you know. And it's seven days a week, 365 days a year. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't end. <laughs> Pete and I were having a conversation. The American Cheese Society came to Pennsylvania this past summer. And, you know, of course, I'm pushing Pete. I want everybody in the universe to have his cheese because it's so beautiful. And he said, Sue, will you listen to me? I don't want any more wholesale customers. I don't want to do that. I want people to come to me. You know, this is all great to come and do this. And I like these people. But, you know, I'm at a different stage. You know, you're not you're not out there trying to hustle and sell all over the country to the best cheese shops. You know your customers value quality and you know they're going to find you. And they have opened the most darling little farm store on the property. <laughs> so that's, I think, bringing the customers to the farm and providing so many different products for them. And then, you know, keeping up with your loyal wholesale customers, the ones you love and the farmers markets, that's pretty cool, Pete. Yeah, you know, the wholesale business is a good business. I have some really great wholesale customers that I won't get rid of. Um, but I want to know the people who are using my products. I want to see their faces. I want to enjoy them, and I want them to enjoy my products and enjoy me. And that, that's really what it's about. You know, I'm in my retirement now. This is my retirement. I'm not I'm not a young man anymore. I have finally realized that, but I still never want to grow up. But <laughs> you, will, you are ageless, I'm sure. You are definitely ageless. <laughs> but but so, 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 you know, some days you start realizing that, that, you know, you it's a, the, your life at this point is about having fun and enjoying your life. You know, it's not about making money. You know, it's about having fun. The people I, I meet at the markets and the people I experience are put brightness into my day, I'd say. You know, it really makes me happy to see somebody who appreciates what I'm doing for them. You know, that's a big part of it anymore. And that's why I've decided to diversify and to sell more products directly to the customers and get to know my customers. I got a new philosophy I want to try to do is I want to try to get to know all my customers by first name and be able to recognize my customers. I've done with a lot of people at the markets now. And it's a good relationship to have with your customers if you know them by first name and they know you by first name. That's what it's about. It's enjoyable. I love it. Yeah. And I'm sure they love you too. <laughs> it is. It's, I mean, I like you know, not to have to put a name to it, but I like to call that relationship marketing. Yes. You know, there's no stronger bond than your customer believing in you and you believing in your customer. And like these people are, you're so invested in their lives. You, 
you know everything about them. You know, you, you know what's going on with their mother-in-laws and the kids are playing soccer, whatever. But sometimes you might not know their first name. So I love that thing. Yes. You know. To get there, to know everybody by yeah. the first name. That's, you know, I don't know. It, it has to be fun now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it maybe has we should, to be. Maybe we should start like a concentration card game with pictures of all your customers. Like flashcards. <laughs> right. You turn it over. You need to, you need to say their name. I think that's a great idea. Um, but then the next phase is, you know, you know, their pets. Their children. The children. Yeah. And yeah. we just had um, our third annual farm party uh, last month. Yes. Never. And we had about 200 people come out. What? Which yeah. it was really great because people. We, we had a blast. Um, we didn't know everybody, but a lot of people came from Philadelphia, came out to the farm. And it was really nice to be able to share the farm with other people. That's what we really want to do. We want them to see the animals and enjoy it with us. We don't want to sit out there by ourselves and just make cheese and work all the time. We want people to come out and have fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Pete, you are really, I have to say, you are so generous in the springtime when the markets start up and the little kids are all over, you know, the farm, Pete Demcher will load up a bunch of little baby goats into his truck and bring them to the farmer's market. Now, as another cheesemaker who happens to milk cows who are not transportable, I got to say, I might as well just throw up my hands and go down and help sell some goat cheese. <laughs> because there's one thing you can't compete with are baby goats. Baby animals. Any baby yeah, animal. It's so great. I do love that you, we were just talking, Jean went into Philadelphia to do an event on the local TV show, TV station, and she had the goats there and... Oh my gosh. It's just the stuff you get into, isn't yeah. it? In yeah. Kind of like sharing your world with other people. Yeah, it was fun. And a lot of a lot of people come up and go, what is that? A rabbit? <laughs> We're like, it's a goat. You've a never rabbit. seen a goat? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's closer to big ears, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, I'm thinking back to those first goats you got. I mean, tell me about your genetics. Um, you know, we have some other younger goat cheese farmers in the area that you know they're raising herds of goats and some of them have been challenged with genetics and i feel like you're a herd of goats i don't know they look pretty well, darn good they give a good <laughs> amount of milk you feed them really well um you know can you talk about how you've developed those families and well i gotta give a lot of credit to dougie newbold because she actually started the genetic pool um and that i have she really concentrated on getting good milkers and good quality animals Bread is what you know what her concentration was, and then there was a couple other people in the area that you know had some really good genetics, which I ended up as they went out of business. I picked up some from them, and I actually have imported some from out west. Most of my bucks come from out west that I've been buying. Actually, the last buck we brought in Idaho was actually where it come came from is Idaho. He flew in TWA. <laughs> <laughs> Pick him up at the airport. Yeah. Pick him up at Cargo City, and that was a scene. Yes. Everybody was looking in at him, saying, "What is that thing? And what are you going to do with it?" <laughs> hey, that's funny. Isn't we named it? him Idaho because he came Idaho. from Idaho. <laughs> yes, he flew in from Idaho, and actually, he was top ten in butterfat in the United States. His wow. mother, his mother was. Oh, yes. So that's great. So, so that's... you've been breeding for certain components, yes. certain genetics, and you do that for 10, 12, 15, 18, 21 years, <laughs> you can really make an impact on your herd. Yes, yes, actually. The herd's doing really, really well. We'll see this year with new, well, Idaho's 
animals are going to start milking this year, actually. So we'll start seeing what he brings in to the herd this year. Hopefully we're going to get some higher butter fats, but our butter fats are actually very high already, um, depending on lactation period. We've had as high in late lactation as 8% butter fats. Yeah. These are all new. This is a 100% <laughs> newbie in herd, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, actually, and we had 27 black babies <laughs> in one week last year. They were from Idaho. <laughs> Idaho happens to be a black goat. <laughs> Is he really? Yes. Well, that must make the herd look so interesting out there. But actually, you know, he's brought in, we have a lot of spotted goats too. And we always have brown and white spotted. So now we have brown, white, black, and multicolor spotted. Oh my coming gosh. In. I bet so, they're beautiful. Oh yeah. Some of the black ones are really, really pretty. The black yeah. spotted with a little bit of brown in them oh. are beautiful. Darling. Um, coming in. What is it like to be, um, you know, milking, freshening and milking year round? Because I know so many goat dairies that are seasonal, but you just keep plowing through. I've never shut down. (laughs) (laughs) We've gotten low. We've gotten as low as two goats milking at one point. But, you know, the next week we could have 10 milking when we start having babies. You know, they came in like last year. You know, we had 28 babies born in one week. We had 12 goats fresh in one week. Is that a decision related to just the such a demand for your product that you, you just got to keep active in the production? Well, I, you know, everybody likes to shut down for a couple months in the wintertime, most goat dairies. I've never believed in that. My customers want cheese all the time. You know, yes, I do have eight cheese I can sell all the time, but mainly, you know, fresh cheese is a big part of my business. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have fresh milk, you don't have fresh cheese. So that's why I continue milking all the time. You know, to keep the milk going and keep the fresh cheese going. You know, we're we're in our worst month right now. December is the worst month. It always is. In terms of the the volume, volume of milk. Okay. Yeah, volume of milk. So in the summertime, in the highest point in the season, how many are you milking? Uh, This year, we're I think we're up to thirty two or thirty three. We're up to. Now, this year coming in, we're, we could be up to 60. <laughs> well, you are in or your more. retirement, so that only makes sense. Good job. Yeah. I'm not sure. We got a lot bred this year. Um, we definitely have 20 more coming on for sure. And then there's some other ones that are possibly uh, bred also that may be coming on. So, you know, we feel breed. So we really don't know exactly how many are bred or when they're bred. Um, you know, it's a challenge, but, you know, you know, the, the young girls, it's easy to tell on. You know, like last night. I was out there and I have three or four young girls that are just about ready to kid. Their elders are getting pretty big. You know, you can tell in the first, in the first, you know, first ones when their elders growing. The other girls, well, you got to look for them filling up and they'll start filling up here sooner or later. It's a challenge because you got to, you know, once, once, once you start getting into it, you got to be on call 24 seven for the babies to be born, checking middle of the night. Hopefully I'm going to have a new system and get some cameras down the barn here soon. (laughs) So I'm not walking down there in the middle of the night. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but actually, all our goats live outside. Nobody lives in the barn. Everybody lives outside. They have turnout sheds they go in and out of to free choice um, when they want to be inside, when they be outside. And now that our pigs have been on the wild until I get the new fencing done, they're actually living with the goats too. You go in there, there's a pig pile in the goat, be- in the goat stall. <laughs> uh, and chickens, cats. Yeah. Now, Jean, you, uh, you married into this crazy life. Yes. Um, you're a nurse by yes. trade, by profession, and you, know, you work long days, five days a week, and then yeah. you spend your evenings, you know, catching kids and mm-hmm. milking um, and salting salting cheese and unclothing. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like to, to um, enter this different 
realm and uh, do you have any uh, to step out of your box <laughs> yes challenges that you want to discuss? well Pete and I um, of course met on the internet <laughs> online dating and I told my girlfriend we were looking at his picture and he had a picture of himself on a rock and all the goats were on the rock around him and I said I can't date him. He's a goat farmer. <laughs> yes. And she said, Jane, it's about time you step outside your box. And of course, my mother said, can't you find a nice doctor? <laughs> I said, no, we, I met Pete and we've had a blast ever since. But we did get married on a Tuesday at 1030. And we were food shopping by 1040. <laughs> No, no honeymoon for us. Our honeymoon's the farm. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> so talk to us. All right, let's talk cheese. Talk to us a little bit about the cheese style that you're making. Like we want the hardcore descriptions, all the flavors and textures. Oh. You know, love the stinky ones. Oh, yeah. Yes. 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 Let's hear about it. Well, actually, I started making cheese and really didn't know much. I got a video from the American Dairy Goat Association, which is a scream <laughs> about how to make cheese. And I started experimenting. I got a lot of information from the culture people, how, to, how the cultures worked, all the graphs and everything like that. And cheese making is, is, is science and cooking together. And I've always loved to cook and science has always been a good thing that I, you know, enjoy doing too. So, you know, I started experimenting and actually just experimenting making cheeses and seeing what I got operating within different parameters than everybody else does. Everybody else says you have to be dead center these parameters. You know, I went to the far left, the far right and tried different things and, you know, had different people taste them. I tasted them. And, you know, tried to figure out where the best was. And then I went over to Europe and spent some time in France working with a couple of cheesemakers over there, which was very interesting because they're allowed to do a lot of different things that we can't do in the United States. But, you know, they've been doing it for a long time and they have a lot of different things that you don't just, you're not going to find in a textbook working, working with these guys. There's something about standing by that with some really experienced cheesemaker and through observation and listening you can learn so much. Yeah, it's funny because I was just thinking about something that you said to me before. <laughs> about that? your acid meters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah. a lot of people work with these acid meters. Now, I learned how to make cheese by feel, not yeah. by acid meters. You know, it's funny that you said that because <laughs> that was just like going through my mind about 40 seconds before you said that about the pH meters. Like, I feel like you're in there, you're like... You have the aroma of the milk, and you can smell the pH mm -hmm. changing in the milk yes. as it's acidifying. Mm -hmm. You can taste it. You do the feel. This is something that people have done for hundreds of years. Yes. Without acid meters. Right. Without <laughs> the pH I bought one meter. time and threw it away. And I've, I've debated buying one again. <laughs> I know. I'm always like, Pete, just have it on hand, will you? Just have it in the facility. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I learned how to make cheese the old-fashioned way, just by looking at it and doing it. I didn't take a cheese-making course, actually 
actually, you were the first cheese making course I took with Peter Dixon. Wasn't that great? Uh, and I was making cheese for 10 years before that. That was when we went out to Lori Sollenberger's. Yes. That was like cheese camp. That was fun. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> you know, but it was funny because I bugged Peter that day. You know, the first day I think I drove him crazy for a little bit until he realized that I knew what I was talking about, but it was asking him the chemistry because I didn't know the chemistry. I knew what happened. I knew how to fix it. I figured that out already, but why did it happen? You know, and there were questions I was trying to get out of Peter because he was college educated and knew that type of stuff. And like I said, you know, there's hands-on cheese making, which I love Peter because he's like me. He makes it from the seat of his pants. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't have to be by textbook, you know. You can make things and you can make really good things as long as you keep records on what you're making and how you did it. So you can repeat it at a time again. And some of my recipes, that's how they were. When I first started making cheese, I wrote down every little detail when I was making making a cheese. And then and if I made a mistake, at least I knew what the mistake was. Right. And I knew how the cheese came out and I liked it. Well, we make the mistake again then. You know, as long as you had that, you know, knew what you were doing exactly, it really came out beautiful. And there's no, there's absolutely no substitute for just observation and curiosity and then writing things down because you're not going to remember all those details that you noticed but you can get them written down you know Mm -hmm. you can come back to them later and try to understand what went right and what went wrong (laughs) (laughs) and that is maybe the best teacher that we have is just our own curiosity about Mm -hmm. our own milk that we're working with in our own facility which is so nuanced and so unique compared to sitting in a classroom and trying to study some of these theories. I mean, the theories are such an important foundation, but I, I like your approach. Yeah. yeah so who I, did... I've never been a classroom guy. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I dropped out of school, you know. <laughs> who did you work with in France? Who did you get to shadow? Where oh, were you? There were, there were three different farms I went to work at um, in France. Um, they were all goat dairies um, there. And they, they were all doing similar style cheeses. Everybody did a tome. Everybody did a fresh cheese. Everybody do bloomy rinds. That's mm-hmm. uh, what they were they were doing over there. Was, I was lucky to have translators and stuff to go with me, translate everything for me. But the nice thing, I tell you what, looking at the way they were set up over there and how the government supports them was mm-hmm. really really neat. Yeah, they had some of the beautiful equipment. It was unreal what they had. Like I finally got the milkers I saw back in nineties over there. I finally just bought them. <laughs> They're really nice. GEA milkers are unreal. They're beautiful. But, you know, in America, you don't see them that much. Mm -hmm. You really don't. Even the company that I bought them off, it doesn't know how to work on them. When you were just saying that, I got to think back to some of the, I don't know, issues here in the state we've had over the years with raw milk and whatnot, regulatory oversight, kind of over-controlling oversight. And Pete, you were one of those guys you can always count on to like raise your hand and say, no, that's not right. This is what I, this is my vote. This is what I say is right. And, um, you know, we had like a lot of drama maybe 12 years ago surrounding um, some raw milk production here in the state and things were a little bit out of control, but we were able to reel that in because of producers, enthusiasts, eaters all came together and we went to the government and we were like, no. And I know you sent in lots of letters. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't, I don't believe in regulatory people. 
Um, I'm very unregulatory. <laughs> yeah, you but know? you run a really clean shop. Oh yeah, well, that, you that, know what that's, I mean. Like, that, that's you know totally different than people trying to regulate what what I do. You know, yes, I believe in keeping my facility very clean. You know, and making a really good product. That's you know what it's about. But to be overregulated, it doesn't help anybody. You know, it's good for industry, big industry, but for small cheesemakers like us who really care about what we're doing, you know, regulations. You know, some of them are ridiculous. They really are. You know, we're doing a good job and we're, we have pride in what we do. And that's what I think regulates what we do and have the quality of our product. Yeah. And we're learning every customer's name. Yep. <laughs> Not everybody can say that. Could try to be big cheese makers if we wanted to, but you know, it's, it's not about that. It's about the people who we're dealing with and enjoying our products, enjoying what we do and appreciating it. That's what it's about. And know? I do happen to know on, I have it on good hand that we share the same inspectors and they like coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> they like coming to Pete. <laughs> they get the real deal, the real story when he, you know. Hey, I tell them how it is. I yeah. don't pull these drinks, you know. Yeah. Some of these regulations they've told me that they're putting into place. I told them I won't apply. You know, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to change what I've done here for 20 years. Been doing this for a long time, and now you're going to change the rules and you're going to change how I make my cheese? No, I won't do it. And it's pretty powerful that you have the customer support that you do and you have these deep-rooted relationships that'll stand by you and right. and support you in that. So that's yeah. yeah, that's really smart. Hey, can you tell us about those cheeses? We oh, we died back to the cheese. Oh, <laughs> back to the cheese. A little well, maziola action. <laughs> maziola, oh, maziola. That's that that was you know, actually it's the first time last year I made that since two thousand and thirteen. So tell us what style that is. <laughs> what style is Maziola? It's 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 actually modeled after Robiola style cheese, is what it what it's done. Um, and actually, that batch that really came out nice was a failure at first. <laughs> I know. Remember, we, I called you about yeah, that. <laughs> I know. And then it was like written up in the Philadelphia Inquirer. She's yes. like, remember that batch? <laughs> it's cheese of the month. <laughs> well, well, I lost my I lost some of my skin on it. <laughs> I know, right? I know. It got a little slippery. Yes, it got a slippery. <laughs> skin and we lost some skin but i cleaned it up and i aged it out and it came out beautiful actually actually i haven't made a batch since then but <laughs> i think it's gonna have to come early spring i mean you were talking before we start push the record this button we were kind of all talking about you know drying down our cheeses really well before they go into the aging mm -hmm. and it sounds like you have a pretty good method so that when they get into the aging conditions that they're dry, they're going to hold their rind, they're going to like break down as you want them. But every once in a while, they get away, away from, from you. <laughs> That's how you know life is real. <laughs> it happens, you know. It does, you know. These things happen. And but some of the mistakes are the best cheeses ever. Yes, yeah. you know that that one I thought was a failure, and it came out beautiful. It really did. It came out really beautiful. But you know, my blooming rind is basically the same as that cheese. The only thing that's different is that cheese is made in a bigger, bigger shape. And it doesn't have a yeast mold in it. Right. My, right. my, that has a yeast mold. My blue meringue doesn't have the yeast mold in it. Mm. Are the really only differences in the cheeses. Are they um, all lactic uh, blue Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Most of my cheeses are lactic, except my hard cheeses. Yeah. Are all lactics. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. I hardly use any rennet. 
What kind of hard cheeses are you playing around with? Um, we're doing a Taleggio style, which is we call Cindy after. That's the first time I've done that since 2013, too, because I had milk this year, <laughs> which I named after Cindy, who died last January. I guess Cindy died, one of my old favorite goats. So we named the cheese after her this year. It came out very nice. Um, little, it, it was a little saltier than I'd like to see it. You know, next year I'm going to, you know, we'll be starting here in January, probably February, making it again. Um, when the milk starts flowing, we're going to try a little less salt on it. But it wasn't even brined. It was actually rubbed with salt, and it came out salty. Yeah. Well, you that. know, they're, they're, they're so particular about the absorption rate sometimes. Yeah. You know, like... They can just like suck that salt in so fast. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, that's a salt forward cheese. Yeah. <laughs> and at market, you're like, this is salt forward. I would really enjoy it with a Pilsner or a pale ale. No, do you know what it was great? It was great with a grilled cheese and tomato sandwich or rye bread. Oh, <laughs> there you go. It was killer. It was really good because the salt and tomato, yeah. you know, goes together very so nicely. Good. And it came out really nice like that. And then we were doing, we're doing a tome style, um, which we've done. Actually, a lot of these. You know, the tome we've been, we made that a couple of years ago. And this year we had a lot of milks. Milk. I feel like with it, you've made that for the last five years, off yeah, and on. Off and on, when we have extra milk. You know, the only yeah. time I get into the hard cheeses is when I have the extra milk. You know, and that last year we had a lot of extra milk come. You know, it was you know beginning of the year. It was. We had a lot of extra milk. God goes fresh, and the markets are slow, so we had a lot of milk to make hard cheeses at the time. Because yeah. um, most of my cheeses, you know, go out as fresh cheeses typically. Yeah, it's like an economic thing. If you can turn that milk into cash. Immediately. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty desirable because I'm always like, Pete, I want you to make the H cheeses because I really like them. And there's not a lot around. But, you know, it is an interesting part of the business model, you know, how to balance out all of the needs and wants yes. of the business. Mm -hmm. And then get to make what you want. What's, what's the hardest part? I mean, we ask everybody, like, what's the most challenging part that, that you find in running this farm and making cheese? Employees. <laughs> uh, are you a good boss? You a good manager? Uh, I'm he likes a, to delegate. I'm a lousy one. Yeah. Well, no, I do like to delegate. Um, yeah, you know. very I'm very particular mm -hmm. on things. You know, things have to be done a certain way. I can't find people to do it a certain way. I just do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly honest. Yeah, then you. that's not helping you. <laughs> no, no. You have to no. do it yourself. Yes, you know, but, you know, right now, I got a pretty good team going right now. Every once in a while, you hit that team, you know, you get that whole team going, and everything's going, going good on the farm. Please leave, and you start back over again. And it all depends who you get in there and how it's going to flow. It really is. Having that yeah. positive energy. I mean, what do you what do you think contributes to it? Just personality profiles? Or do you think that you're like, now that you're in your retirement years, you're like a little more chill and you have more time to do training? What do you think it is that you have this great yeah, team in place? I, I think... More Is it Gene? Gene's influence? <laughs> no, I think it's actually much more mature people. Yeah. <laughs> Less millenniums. Millennials. Yeah, hey, millennials. <laughs> or whatever yeah. they are. <laughs> no, it's funny. I, I have this young, young, young kid. You know, actually just started college this year. Um, who's worked for me? He worked for me through two years of high school. Actually, you know Logan. Oh, <laughs> I know his family really well. Yes. What a great family! And great Lo kid. Logan is the best. He's is he back? <laughs> um, he's coming back on the fifteenth. Oh, great! Fifteenth or sixteenth, he'll be back. Right. And he'll if be we could only clone him. Yes, yes. He came to us as shy. You know, very shy 16-year-old. Uh, and he wrote, like, an essay 
sent us an email of why he wanted to work on the farm. And we kept saying, no, he's 16. We, you know, these kids today, they just, they want to pet, they want to play with baby goats. They don't want to work, you know. Unless you're well, Logan. <laughs> Logan came over. Pete gave him a pitchfork and a wheelbarrow and said, start, start mucking around the feeders. And we thought, he'll never come back. He's been coming back for three years. Every holiday, he wants to work every as many hours as he can during the summer. Wow. Did his grandmother have a dairy farm? Yes, I think. It, I feel yeah, like there's yeah. some. His, mother, his mother's family. His mother's family yeah. had a dairy farm. See, I, I worked with uh, Logan's mom for, I don't know, maybe eight years once upon a time. And his parents are just like hardworking, smart people mm-hmm. who raised an amazing young man. Yeah. Yes, they did. Who he's, is he's good. going on to contribute to what you guys are doing. That's really neat. Yeah. He yep. loves it. And the animals love him, too. And awesome. yeah, they can tell, can't they? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Actually, we started milking this summer. He started milking finally. We got him milking now, so he milks too. He was milking twice a day. Yeah, twice a day all summer. Six long. days a week. Yes. <laughs> Pete, have you thought about like, you know, I know these are your retirement years, and I know you probably have a good thirty years left of you of <laughs> milking goats, and making cheese. I mean, you know, where do you? What do you? What would? In your wildest dreams, where would you like to see Shellbark Hollow go in 50 years? I mean, do you want to see like somebody else come along and take it over? What do you think? What would, what would make you happy? I would love to have somebody come, come in and run Shellbark Hollow the way I run it. Yeah, <laughs> um, to have but, it continue on. You know, it, it's going to be hard to find somebody to, that wants to do it, but you know, really there's nobody that wants to work this hard. That's what I find. Yeah, there has to be a love for it. Yeah, you got to, you know, you're not going to do this unless you love it. You're not going to get rich doing this. You know, you can sustain yourself and be happy, but you're not, I don't think you're ever going to get rich doing this. Farming is something you don't get rich on. Um, yeah, it's days. a way of life, really. Yes, that's the, that's where you get the fulfillment. Yes. Yeah. I think, it, yeah. You're, Pete, you're just a breath of fresh air. I really mean <laughs> that. I mean, you're, you're a very grounding force, I think, in our, um, small cheese community around the Philadelphia region because you do have this kind of defiant nature, you know, you're, you're pretty fierce. You're pretty independent. Yeah. You're, you're free spirit. We'll call it, we could call it rebellious. Um, big heart, but yeah, this big heart, your passion is so pure. I mean, you're, you're just doing this work. You're giving it your all because you love it. And that's remarkable. And I think it's actually just a good reminder to us all um, to hear your story and to think about the reasons why we got into this, you know, because I think as this industry grows and it gets more internationally recognized and more competitive as well, a lot of us are like chasing the awards and looking to, you know, kind of like win the prizes and the status and the prestige to be able to get into the best shops or the best restaurants and suddenly it becomes like more of an ego driven project. Whereas you're actually moving in the opposite direction. You're trying to unwind from wholesale. You don't care about the prestige. You care about your customers in your neighborhood who you want to learn by name. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think in the purest form, we all started doing this for those reasons, you know, and it's really easy to get distracted and kind of lose your way when it comes to, you know, protecting your status because we pour so much into it. But, you know, we can all hear this story and kind of, I think, go back to our roots and, and kind of like remember to keep it simple sometimes. And yes. 
Enjoy, yeah. enjoy, enjoy the day to day. Enjoy it. It has yeah. to be fun. No, don't do it. So, thank you. <laughs> it should be fun. Yes, it should be fun. <laughs> you know. Pete Dempsher, I love you. <laughs> Thanks Sue, for coming out. I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a regular old love fest over here at Collective Greenway Podcast. It's been, it's been fun knowing you. So. <laughs> yeah. We do have we do have damn good time together, don't we? <laughs> Gene and Pete for spending this uh, dinner with us. We'll give a shout out to Hidden River Brewing, who was kind <laughs> enough to give us a private room and turn down the volume so we could record here tonight. Yes, yeah. yes. Next time you're in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, stop in for a beer and a sandwich. It was great. It was good food and good beer. Thanks all. And good company. And good company. And good company. <laughs> all right. Cheers. 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 Collective Creamery is Stephanie Angstadt, Sue Miller, and Alex Jones. Jordan Heil produced the podcast, and Mike Lorenz wrote our music. You can hear him on Thursday nights at the Tired Hands Brew Cafe in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can learn more and subscribe to our cheese subscription at collectivecreamery.com.